Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Is there something wrong with this side of the room? Derek can hold his own, I guarantee that. Good morning, my name is Keevan. I am on staff here uh, with CCF. Uh, my wife Stephanie and I do uh, international ministry. And um, I think we have some pictures here of the family. So this is us when we, were, when we first came back in 2002. Look how small Stephanie and I were. I mean, our kids were. That's what I mean. Look at all that. Look at all that hair. Man, I was just flowing with hair there. So, yeah, yeah, easy there. These are our kids, uh, Emma and Ethan. And uh, they are all grown up now. They're older than all of you. So they are grown up adults. And uh, we've added a daughter-in-law. That's Hayden. And I think when Stephanie spoke a couple weeks ago, I forgot to put a picture of Jack the dog in her slides. So there he is. There's Jack the dog, always coming between me and Stephanie. That is Stephanie's dog, um, not my dog. Um, that dog only has eyes for Stephanie. So, um, so that's our family. And then, of course, I have to show you our other family. Since I, since I tell Derek I will only speak once a semester, I have to show our IFG interns. Uh, they are the people that help us do everything that we do with international students. They're wonderful. We just went on a retreat for the very first time. We had our first annual international retreat this year, and it was awesome. JJ clearly knows how to retreat. Look at that. Just <laughs> crashed in the grass. Uh, we played the dumb not game. Have you ever played the... My wife was convinced that we could get out of it. We never did. Um, I finally put her on a three-minute time limit after about 25 minutes of them trying. I mean, I mean, Hugo just kept hugging everybody. He just, he really loved it. Um, and so that, that's a little bit of what we do. Also, uh, my family is here. My mom and dad are here, so welcome them. They... They found out that I was preaching. I didn't tell them. My wife told them. And so they surprised us and drove up from Topeka, which is about four hours away. Um, and so I think, Dad, you're going to buy lunch, right? Yes, thumb up. So some things, hopefully, you know, college students, you know, your parents always buy lunch, right, when they come to see you. If you work it right, you can still have that happen when you're 50, like I am. So... Um, and so that, that, is, that is our group. Uh, we are continuing our series on the Beatitudes, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as we've done on most weeks, on Sundays we're going through the Beatitudes, on Wednesdays they're going through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but as we've done most weeks, I want to begin with reading uh, the first 11 verses of Matthew 5. So I'm going to have you stand up, and we're going to do this a little bit different today, Okay. A uh, little participation on your part. Go ahead and go to the next slide there. Um, hopefully you can read my handwritten notes. I'm going to read this opening sentence, okay? 
And then I want this side to read the blessed are the fill in the blank. Okay. And make sure you say blessed every time, even though I didn't write it that many times. So you guys say the blessed are the poor in spirit and you guys respond after the comma with the result of that. Okay. So we're going to do this together. Are ready? Matthew 5, 1 through 11. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You can be seated. Thank you. This is the upside-down kingdom that we have been talking about each week and that Jesus uh, calls us to. Um, and, and it's a, it's kind of, I don't know if you, you know, in talking with the others, it's kind of crazy that, you know, trying to read those, these are not what we would normally think is blessed. Uh, but this is what Jesus says is blessed. And so today my task is to talk about verse seven, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And I have to tell you, I have, I've had all semester you know, to prepare for this sermon, to study, to read up. And I, I read a lot of books and I read a lot of different authors and I just kept looking for what they had to say about blessed are the poor or not blessed are the poor, but blessed are the pure in heart. And so many books and authors, even books that are written on the Sermon on the Mount, just kind of when they got to the pure in heart, they just kind of skipped right over it, or they kind of just lumped it in with another one, and they didn't say a whole lot about what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And so I was like, well, this isn't good. What am I going to say? What am, what am I going to, because I'm not smart enough to know what Jesus meant when it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I was like, surely somebody out there has this figured out, right? And, and so I did what every person who gets up here and speaks should do at CCF. They should consult with the CCF theologian, the college dropout, Noah Jensen. So one day after prayer, we were in the kitchen and I said, Noah, what is the first thing you think of when you hear the expression, blessed are the pure in heart? And Noah thought for literally one second. And then he said two words, Owen Thornburg. Owen Thornburg, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit, Owen. And Owen's family is here today, too. His mom and dad and his grandma are here. Uh, I want to talk about, I'm going to brag on Owen for a little bit, okay? Because here's, the, here's what's funny is Noah said that. He just said, Owen Thornburg. And there were several people in the room, and we all just were like, yep, that's, that, that makes sense. That, that totally makes sense. 
And and uh, and the funny thing is, a few weeks earlier, when I was sitting there trying to figure out what I was going to say on "Blessed on the Poor in Spirit," and I asked myself that question, "Who do I think of?" Owen Thornburg also came to my mind. Uh, and well, to be totally honest, I thought of Mother Teresa first. <laughs> but right after the Mother Teresa, Owen, that was you. You are right there. And so those were the top two people I thought of when I thought, blessed are the pure in heart. Mother Teresa and Owen Thornburg. Um, I've gotten to know Owen uh, the last few years. He's part of our IFG group. Um, this year, he actually asked me if I would meet with him one-on-one -on -one for mentorship, discipleship, whatever you want to call it. And so we meet every Thursday at the I-House. He brings tea. I heat water. Um, Oh, yesterday, or the other, this week he brought pumpkin cake that he made, and it was so, pumpkin bread. He called it a cake because it was sweet as a cake, but it was, it was bread. Uh, so, so good. And I got to say, I, to be honest, I think I'm learning more from Owen than actually I'm teaching Owen anything. Uh, I, I mean, I know he's going to shake his head no, but that's what the pure in heart do. Um, <laughs> can't get by. Uh, I, I just so enjoy talking with him and like even things that are stressing Owen out like just is just like he still is like kind of excited about you know like there's just like this every Owen just loves life like my wife will make meals for IFG and Owen's just like every week oh this is the best you know like so good and then uh, I don't know it's just Owen there's just things about him I don't want to embarrass him but like there he's, he's genuine there's a genuineness in him there's an authenticity in him. There's a sincerity in him. He's real, okay? I mean, you'll never have to wonder if Owen's trying to be anything other than himself. He, he, he's just Owen. It, it, it's a pretty good description, I think, of, of the pure in heart. And uh, a few weeks ago, we went to Owen's grandparents' uh, a cattle farm. We took some international students. And uh, his parents, uh, Matt and Diane, and his grandparents, Rick and Nadine, I mean, they, they welcomed us into their home, and uh, they, the, I mean, the international students were just like, oh, look at these cows, and they were so excited to see these cows, and like, his grandpa like, drove down a field and just started calling the cows in, and the cows are just running toward him, and the international students were just like, blown away, and, and then we went to, to the, the grandparents' house, and we had this meal that was like, I mean, this homemade bread that was just so, so good, and and his, his parents and grandparents just like welcome these students in and they asked them questions like, where are you from? And, and tell us about your, your country and your culture. And they, and they were interested and they were welcoming and they were genuine. And I'm like, this is why Owen is the way Owen is. He can't help it. Um, it, it blessed are the pure in heart. I love how a couple weeks ago when Phil spoke on blessed are the merciful, he had us repeat. Lord have mercy. Well, he said, Lord have mercy, and we said, Christ have mercy. And so I'm going to try that today, only a little bit different. Uh, this week, when I say, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, I want you to say, you guys are Truman students. I didn't even have to tell you. So we're going to do that. We're going to try a little participation, keep you awake. Hopefully I won't put you to sleep here. I should just stop and just say, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, and he meant Owen. Because we've had amazing worship already. I was like, well, we don't even need this sermon. I mean, after that worship singing, mm, that's so good. Uh, but I will, I, since I only do it once, I will, I will preach a little bit more. 
there are two Greek words we're going to show up there uh, for the pure in heart. Uh, katharos, I don't remember, I took Greek like 20,000 years ago. Um, I think it's how you say it. It means pure. It means clean. Uh, it can also mean blameless or unstained from guilt. And then the other word is kardia, which is the word for heart in the Greek. And, and when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, I wonder if he was thinking about Psalm 24 uh, when he said this beatitude. Psalm 24 says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. When Jesus said, blessed are the poor or blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, he was teaching about purity in this in the face of legalism, basically, if you remember some of the other people that have been up here have talked about. Uh, the religious leaders and the Pharisees who were part of the religious leader group, um, they were all about being clean on the outside. Okay, that was so important to them, how they looked on the outside. And the Old Testament laws, if you read the Old Testament laws, they did teach a lot about purification. And, and, but they were meant as a guide for people's lives. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law turned them into a heavy burden they added so many traditions and they added so many laws onto it so that, mo that most of the common people probably never felt like they could live up to the standard. They felt like, I can't, I can't be pure in heart. I can't be like them. And I think sometimes the church continues to do this today. In Matthew 15, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they were complaining to him because his disciples were breaking the tradition of the elders by not washing their hands when they ate or before they ate. But, you know, you should probably wash your hands. But, like, it was like this, like, this is a tradition. This is, like, how you are clean. This is how you are pure. And the disciples were not doing that. And so they were complaining to Jesus about this. And Jesus' reply was not to turn to his disciples and say, wash your hands, guys. No, his reply was to the Pharisees where he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And I think Jesus seems to be showing us that the important thing here is it's a matter of the heart, which is my sermon title, my one sermon title, a matter of the heart, but for you guys' sake that's used to read, I gave you four more, five more. Listen to your heart, total eclipse of the heart, the heart wants what it wants, hungry heart, who owns my heart? Those are all song titles, by the way. I just said song titles with heart in it. Uh, Reed actually thinks through his sermon titles. They all kind of go right with his sermons. That's good. But I think it's Jesus saying it's a matter of the heart, the heart, the cardia. Um, is what is important. Um, in, in the Greek, cardia is used in literal and metaphorical senses. On the one hand, it's talking about the heart as an organ of the body, the center of our physical life. And on the other hand, it's regarded as the seat of the emotions. 
and the source of our spiritual life. According to the Dictionary of New Testament Theology, it says, In Jesus' day we see the heart described as a center of man's will and as the seat of his power of decision. This is the heart. In our culture, we often refer to the heart as a center of our emotion, right? I think Reed might have talked about this a couple weeks ago. We also refer to the mind as a center of our intellect. But in Hebrew culture, the heart referred to everything. It covered both the, both the, both the, the mind and the emotions. It was the center of personality. It was the entire person. It included the thinking process. Proverbs 23.7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, what? Think in his heart? It's the whole thing. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so if the heart is the center of our physical and our spiritual life, it must matter. It must be pretty important. And in Scripture, we see a lot of warnings about our heart. Let's look at some of those passages. In Matthew 15, Jesus tells his disciples, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Not good news. In Romans 2, verse 5, Paul describes our hearts as hard and impenitent. There's a fun read word for you. Impenitent. Um, It means not feeling shame or regret about our actions or attitude. I only know what the word penitent means because of the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Last Crusade. There you go. Penitent. You guys remember? How many of you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Oh, good. I thought I was getting way too old. That was way too long ago. The penitent man, the penitent, penitent, penitent man uh, is the one who can come before God. The penitent man humbles himself before God. The penitent man kneels and saves his life as the sword goes over his head. The penitent. So our hearts can be hard and impenitent. The author of Hebrews 3, verse 12, warns his readers. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. And then Paul again in Romans 1 describes a heart that can be darkened. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And if you're not thoroughly depressed by this point, by all the bad news about our heart, let's look what God said to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17. He says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Wow. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, A lot of times, I think when I talk to people, when I say, what do you think of when you hear the phrase pure in heart? A lot of times people say children, right? We think of young people. We think of children because they're innocent. Mostly, yes. Um, Yeah, look how sweet and innocent those kids are. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. This is me as a child. That's when I really had hair. I think I lost it at the age of 10, but I think I'm, I don't know, mom, eight or nine years old in this, maybe 10, younger than that, maybe seven. What, regardless, I'm a prime example 
that even a child's heart can be desperately sick. Um, I'm going to tell you a story. I've told it before. So Noah, who's been around forever, probably has heard this story. I know the staff have heard this story. Uh, I can't remember when I tell stories. So if this is, uh, you've heard it before, just come to sermon discussion. I'll tell you another story. Um, but this story, I was probably eight or nine. Maybe I was seven. I went to church all the time. My parents took me there. We were there three times a week. And uh, I was at Sunday school, and I remember one day at Sunday school, I was in the Sunday school classroom, we're sitting around the table, the teacher has not yet arrived, okay? And so we're all just waiting, and when I was younger, and maybe now, I, I like to make people laugh. I like to do whatever it takes to make people laugh, and so when my teacher walked in, my pure little heart had an evil little thought. I hopped up out of my chair and I walked over and I grabbed the teacher's chair and pulled it out for her. And she says, oh, what a little gentleman. And then she proceeded to sit down and I pulled it out from underneath her. Yeah, you're laughing. Nobody in the room laughed. I mean, nobody. There was, there was some gasp because my teacher, and I'm trying to remember who exactly it was, but I guarantee uh, she... She was 50, probably my age now, but seemed like 100 um, because I was only seven or eight. And she landed on her tailbone and then fell backwards and hit her head on the chair. Um, it was not good. It was not good. Um, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Well, one of my first thoughts after that evil stunt was I was certainly going to see God because my mom was going to kill me. Um, but actually, I asked my mom last night, I said, do you remember this story? She did not remember this happening. And so evidently, my Sunday school teacher, in all her love and grace and mercy, did not tell on me or did not mention this to my parents. And that's the only reason I'm still alive today. I think if you wait long enough to tell your parents your evil actions, then maybe they will spare you. Um, but if our hearts can be so evil and so deceitful, if our hearts can be hardened and darkened, if they can lead even to murder or, pre or attempted murder on a Sunday school teacher, what hope do we have with this beatitude? How can we be pure in heart? Well, I think we have to first understand that on our own, we cannot. We cannot be pure in heart. Only God can purify our hearts. Our only hope for a pure heart is Jesus Christ. Uh, like the CCF mug at the CCF house says, you're all naughty, Romans 3. I'm not so concerned about Santa Claus, but Romans 3 says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. So even though on our own, we cannot be pure of heart, I want to suggest this morning three things that we must or can do to allow God to purify our hearts. Number one, we must surrender our hearts to God. No person can understand his heart, let alone change it. Without God, we will continue to live under the power of sin which takes up residence in our heart and enslaves us. That's what it does. And because corruption comes from the heart, it is with the heart where God begins his work 
of renewal where God wants to start making things right. It is with our heart that we can turn from God, but it is also with our heart that we can turn to God. To surrender means to give up, trying to do things on our own, right? This is what the Pharisees did. They tried so hard. And they just, if we just, if we're just clean enough on the outside, if we look good to everyone around us and walk around and say our prayers in the marketplace and people think we're righteous, then, then we got, we've, we've made it. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm more concerned about your heart. It has to start from the inside. And if you take care of the inside, it will come out. Uh, Madeline Lingle, one of my wife's favorite authors in her book, Walking on Water, says this. She says, we live under the illusion that if we can acquire complete control, we can understand God or we can write the great American novel. But the only way we can brush against the hymn of the Lord or hope to be part of the creative process is to have the courage, the faith to abandon control. For the opposite of sin is faith and never virtue. The opposite of sin is faith and never virtue. And we live in a world which believes that self-control can make us virtuous, but that's not how it works. And she's right. We can try and try and try all we want on our own, and it will never work. When I read the story of the prodigal son, and it reaches the part where he says, where the scripture says, but when he came to himself, or when he came to his senses, and he realized he was no longer worthy to be called a son, he has squandered all of his father's money. Uh, he had blown it. He had gone looking for a better life, and he didn't find it. And he was suddenly all alone and, 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 and realizing that he couldn't control it. He couldn't make it. When he came to his senses, this is where we see the point of surrender. This is the beginning point of becoming pure in heart. This is when we will see God. And when we see him, he'll be running to us, throwing his arms around us, restoring us. It's a beautiful picture of a love of a father. This is how we see God. It requires us to surrender. Our hearts can be hardened. Our hearts can be deceitful. But a surrendered heart can also be full of faith and goodness. With a surrendered heart, we can choose to act in obedience to God. Have we surrendered our heart to God? I'm not asking, were you raised in a Christian family or were you raised going to church? I'm asking, have you surrendered your heart to God? Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. The second thing I think we can and must do to allow God to purify our hearts is we must be devoted in our heart to God. Another possible translation of the word pure can be single or focused. To be pure in heart means to have a single-minded devotion to Jesus. Being clean of heart, being pure of heart, and single-hearted is a picture of the whole person turned toward God. Forsaking all lesser goods, 
Purity of heart means simply to will one thing. I was talking about 70s dog Jack earlier. I wish you could just, I wish I should have videotaped this dog in our house. Because when Stephanie's at home, all this dog does is follow her around. He is single hearted, devoted to Stephanie. I mean, like there is nobody else. He just follows her from room to room to room to room. Everywhere Stephanie goes, he's looking to her. If Stephanie walks out the door and leaves, the dog lays down by the door she walked out of and waits. <laughs> I'm there. I'm sitting there going, hey, Jack. Hey, hey, Jack. And he looks at me like, nope. You're not God. All right. <laughs> and that's certainly true. <laughs> but and that, I mean, I was like, that's 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 pure in heart. That's single devotion that God is calling us to that we that we follow him that we look to him that we wait on him the clean or pure in heart move through life constantly choosing God Jesus himself will tell his listeners later on in the sermon on the mount he says no one can serve two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money and this is why CCF's purpose statement if you want to call it that this is why what we strive for is to help you and to help ourselves as as college students as older former college students or older people we want you to love God with all your heart soul mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself faithfully loving God exemplifies our purity of heart and it sees us casting aside all other idols there's a lot of other things that are easy to chase after and follow after but it's not going to do it for us it's not going to bring us a pure heart it's not going to bring us to God we must not be divided in our devotion to God, but we must stand firm in our faith in him. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind, and we acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from him. And we utilize our time and our talents and our treasures for his glory and not our own. And we submit our lives to him each day. James 4, 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Where is our devotion? Are we devoted to God? Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. And the third and final thing I think we must do to allow God to purify our hearts is we must be honest in our heart before God. We have to be honest. When we surrender our lives to Jesus and we make the commitment to be devoted to him, to follow him and him alone, he begins a transformation of our hearts. And let me tell you, it takes time, okay? It, it, it doesn't just like change everything overnight when we say, Jesus I want to live for you. It doesn't suddenly be like, oh, I, I never have a 
another evil thought in my mind. No, it's a transformation. God begins to transform our heart and our love for him will translate into a hunger to know him and a thirst to live like him. This is a pure heart, a heart that desires nothing more than to be with God. And one way we demonstrate that we have a pure heart is by being willing to be transparent before God about our sin. You would never have seen the Pharisees and the teachers of the law ever being honest about their struggles because the outside was so important to them that they just said, oh, I've got it all together. Look how good my life is. I'm, I'm living for Jesus. I'm living for God. And, and we have to learn, if we're going to be pure in heart, we have to learn to be honest about ourselves honest about our struggles we all struggle every single one of us we all struggle in so many ways and thing is god already knows our sin it's not some secret he knows every sin we've ever committed and he knows every sin we will ever commit it's not a big surprise sometimes i'm like man god's got to be sick and tired of hearing me confess this sin again he's not surprised okay he, he wants a heart that's willing to be honest before him. And so we have to learn to be honest before God. And we have to learn to confess it to him. And we have to learn to turn from our unfaithfulness. And we have to learn to rest in his grace. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy, right? We, we just say, oh, God, God can't surely forgive me anymore. I've messed up way too many times. And we're our own worst enemy. And we don't understand God's grace. God's grace says, keep coming back to me. And this will be a daily thing in our life. Just because we surrender our lives to God and we are devoted to him does not mean we'll not never again mess up. After all, the heart is a deceitful thing. Who can understand it? But the pure in heart will learn to be honest before God. And I think it starts with being honest with ourselves. We have to admit to ourselves our shortcomings. It means being honest before God. It means being honest with the people around us. Sometimes the best thing you could do is tell somebody else your struggle and allow them to come into your life and to help you uh, with that, to work through that, to deal with that. And honesty will lead us to confession and repentance. King David who is described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart, demonstrated this in Psalm 51. And this was after he had committed adultery, deceit, and murder. Pretty big sins there, people. He had committed all three of these in just one occasion of his life, in just one decision which led to another decision which led to another decision. He had committed all of these, and, and Psalm 51 is David repenting, confessing, being honest before God. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, my sin, my mistakes. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. And here's the honest part. For I know my transgressions, I know my mistakes, and my sin is ever before me. I know it. And then he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
If we're going to be pure in heart, we have to begin to be honest with God, with ourselves, with others. And by God's grace, it will free us from the enslavement of sin. It'll open our hearts to understand mercy and understand the goodness of our God. Are we living our lives honestly before God? Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Let me conclude with this. It's only through God's saving grace that we can be pure in heart. But Jesus came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, that we can all be made pure in heart, that we can all see God. And he invites everyone to come and see what this kingdom, this upside-down kingdom living is all about. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much uh, for your love for us. Uh, we thank you that you are a father that longs for us to surrender, to give up, to come back home, to recognize our need uh, for you. And you are a father that is looking for us is ready to run to us, to welcome us, to, to embrace us, to restore us. God, we don't deserve this. But we praise you and thank you uh, for it. Lord, help us to be honest uh, before you and before others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.